previously on Dispatch at Jax. Let's broaden our minds. Are they in the proper approach pattern for today? Television, uh, I just got three things that kind of stuck out to me that were new for this year. The Bear, I came oh, yeah. to a little Good late. Show. I watched, I loved. Fantastic yeah. show. Severance, again, another fantastic show. Great, um, great show based on the back rooms. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspired, inspired yes, by the back rooms. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some connective tissue in between those. Excited mm-hmm. for the next season. Great little bit of uh, mind bending sci fi. And good cast. And great uh, cast, great, great performances. Yep. Well done, And sure. I think uh, Yellow Jackets. I, yes! Uh, I super enjoyed that. Best, I think that's the best show of 2022. Yeah, it was so much fun. I think it kind of trailed off at the end, but I think the, the mm-hmm. setup and slow burn world building, but with mm-hmm. all the twists and turns that come about, and fantastic performances, mm-hmm. just, just By such a fun actors. show. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good show. The Yellow Jackets is one of the better series that I've seen in the last few years. Great, great show. Greed. We may not agree on the sadness, but we agree on Yellow Jackets. Oh, 100%. That's an awesome. Yeah. I guess maybe a late edition I thought Wednesday was surprisingly really enjoyable, especially for late Tim Burton. Yeah. It's the only good. Tim Burton thing I've liked in years. Many years. Well, I mean, a lot of people like Dark Shadows, but it's whatever. Well, it's fine. Did they like it because they hadn't seen it? Is that is that the issue? Well, okay, look, compared to a lot of the other ones that he's put out, Dark Shadows is a surprisingly competent film. I didn't care for it, but it's better than, I don't know, almost everything else he's done since, what, Mars Attacks? Ooh, since Mars Attacks. I mean, because Sweetie Sleepy Todd Hollow, was pretty shit. Planet of the That's Apes. That's okay. The Terrible. Big Fish. Terrible. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Terrible. The Corpse Bride. Okay. Sweeney Todd. Well, he didn't direct that, though. Yes, he did. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, because he didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas. No, that so was... I assumed he didn't direct that yeah, one. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> stuff he created while he was working at Disney, and then they decided yeah. to make it, and he was a part of it, but didn't direct it. Alice in Wonderland. Terrible. Dark Shadows. Watchable. Eh. Frank and Weenie. The Not as good as the short. No. Big Eyes. You know, I didn't see oh, that. You're one. fine. Sucked. Miss Per Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Didn't care for it. Yeah, nope. Dumbo. Sucked. Atrocious. So Wednesday, it's like, oh. All right. Hey, you made something good. Yeah. I mean, technically, he only directed four episodes, but he was a producer in the whole thing. Well, right, yeah, he's like the showrunner yeah. or whatever, and 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 you know what? It's it's maybe he should go back to doing long form stuff because I thought that Wednesday was clever. It makes reference to the Raul Julia Angelica Houston movie mm-hmm. without being ham fisted or or too obvious. You know, it makes kind of subtle reference to saying that that's possibly in canon or at least giving a wink and a nod to it. I love the actress in it. Interestingly enough, saw I saw a horror movie with her in it like a couple of days ago where she's a the sound person on a porn shoot. Oh, you're my ex? Goes, yes. Yeah. 
it's an okay movie. Uh, it was just weird seeing her in that context after seeing her as like, oh, okay. a teenage girl in Wednesday. Yeah, you know no, I, I mean? I'd seen her in that like, first, so I was like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I had not seen X, and I was like, uh, that's <laughs> makes me feel uncomfortable. And also, this movie isn't going to get all that good because I know she's later in mainstream stuff. So, yeah. You haven't got to that point. In Venture Brothers, when Dr. Venture is very excited because he's watching a porno, he's like, that Dolly Parton made a risque movie called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> and Brock's like, uh, Doc, you're going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I don't know if she's yeah, coming. Wednesday was good. Yeah, Wednesday was good. And it really kind of has no right to be. No. Even conceptually. No. I When they I heard they were doing it, I was like, uh, who cares? No, and then I saw the trailer. It doesn't and it was make like, sense oh, on paper. I feel like it has the yeah. spirit. It has the ambiance of the originals. I think the worst part of that coming out is the asshole f- trolls online who are like, "I can't believe they made her Latina." And they're just trying to be politically correct. And they're like, "Her dad's name is Gomez. She is Latina. That's the. Why are you fighting this? I don't understand." She's not supposed to be white. <laughs> that was the offensive part. <laughs> you know? They are Latino. And I loved Raul Julia in that role. I don't think anybody will ever... He and uh, John Aston. Is that his name? I think it's yeah. John Poopy Pants. That's, that's, that's probably yeah. the one. That's the one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Both great. Raul Julia, I think, is the ultimate manifestation of that role. Mm-hmm. Luis Guzman, while I understand what Tim Burton was going for, this grotesque little <laughs> troll man, I get it, but that's not Gomez to me. Whatever. You know, they're not all exact. They don't all hit, but I think there's enough hey, that do land. Catherine Zeta-Jones is an inspired choice for that role. She's that weird, quiet, you know, Angelica Houston, obviously, was great, yeah. and mo- mostly because of the key lighting that they would always put on her. I thought Catherine Zeta-Jones did a very good job of channeling that vibe, and I, I thought she was very good in it. I was fine with her. It was all written by Miller and Golf, you know, of Smallville and, and Spider-Man fame. Oh, oh, okay. Back on the scene, oh, doing something yeah. worthy. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, Wednesday was good. Uh, I, think, I think it is a, a worthy watch. It's kind of like Sabrina, where it's surprisingly hmm. competent. Yeah, I saw a little bit of Sabrina. I, I don't really care about it, but as far as, like, updates go, well done. Instead of being the whitewashed afternoon syndication show <laughs> that came out in the 90s, it uh, really leans into the witch stuff. It's kind of dumb on one hand because it's all, like, the Christianified version of witchcraft Mm. and whatever so it deals with satan a lot and the dark arts or whatever and pentagrams are evil that kind of thing instead of leaning into the actual fun good pagan stuff and all that but it's still they go way farther than you would think they would Uh, there's a lot of sacrificing people to satan it's pretty hardcore (laughs) you know for what it is and if i remember right it does cross over with riverdale at one point. I think so, but it's a little outside my purview. I think it does. Because, like, with Archie Comics, they went in a cool, meta, hip, indie direction, you know? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't know who won between Archie and Predator, but... Probably the same person I, who won versus, when it was Archie versus Punisher. It's us. We're the ones that won. <laughs> winner, winner, Archie dinner. Because I was going through vintage comics the other day when I was, like, pricing some stuff at work, and there was a bunch of, like, Life with Archie. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, Afterlife with Archie makes way more sense now. <laughs> there was a long period of time where Archie comics were super Christian, where they were, like, published by a Christian publication company. Mm-hmm. Anyway, doesn't matter. But I want to see how far they push back against that, you know what I mean? That's much like 2022. <laughs> uh, this is obviously fluid because the phrase shakeups at Warner Brothers, I think, is a is a weekly headline for like variety. But once again, Warner Brothers made huge overhauls in who's running 
their movie division, specifically what they have often referred to as the DCEU, we finally now have a Kevin Feige-like character in charge of the uh, what they now officially call DC Studios. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone call it that. I feel like it, that's it, an, a new terminology they're bringing around. It makes sense. So DC Studios is now being run by James Gunn. Yeah. Well, also Peter Safran, who's a producer that works with James Gunn. But that is a weird one. I feel like that's almost like when Polaroid made Lady Gaga their head of of uh, production or whatever. Which they did. That was the thing. Oh, she was okay. like, their, no, no, seriously, she was their chief creative officer or whatever, which is bizarre. Uh, and that produced a lot of ripples that are, I, I think, maybe good and bad. I mean, a lot of it is they're finally purging the Snyderverse. Oh, gee, it only took nine years, which they have been sort of fighting since it happened, fighting themselves. On. But they still have irons in that particular fire. I.e. the, the Only- Flash film. And Aquaman. Well, technically, I guess Shazam 2. Right. They were already in the cans. You can't do anything about that. You mean like how Batgirl but- was also in the can? And they most certainly did something about that? Oh, they eject the shit out of that? <laughs> well, uh, that was like a weird tax thing where they could save more money not releasing it. Also, it probably wasn't very good. I hate to say. We'll never know. We eventually saw Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. I don't think we'll ever see Batgirl. No, I heard that the directors tried to go in and pull it off the, the hard drives and it was just gone. It had been yeah, deleted. It's different. It's like you can't steal the reel anymore. It's the digital thing. Mm. It's gone. I don't think anyone, uh, maybe, maybe some guy at DC or Warner Brothers squirreled it away secretly and maybe it'll get re- released online later. That shit's gone, man. It's never coming out. I mean, you could pr- it'd probably be easier to see the unaired Bochco produced Wonder Woman pilot that apparently you don't remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen Bochco, you're the one who did like NYPD Blue and all that, right? He produced a Wonder Woman TV show that never made it past pilot. It's not like the Aquaman pilot that never took anywhere. What was that called Mercy Reef, which actually wasn't bad. But anyway, uh, you're not going to see Batgirl. It ain't happening. And so officially, James Gunn has put the kibosh on the Snyderverse once and for all. You know, people out there, they're Snyder fans or whatever. That's fine. You can like his work. You can like movies. You can like his take on things. We're not judging you for that. We don't like them. (laughs) And I think it's pretty obvious why now, especially the critical reactions to, let's say, Man of Steel, Batman... Well, well, all of them. (laughs) Not liked in general. But the weird thing about this one was that they had announced that Henry Cavill was coming back as Superman. They were going to move forward with Wonder Woman 3. They had talked about how The Flash was going to, like, help save this universe. Uh, Michael Keaton was going to come back as Batman in multiples, including Batgirl. And then when they hired Gunn and Safran, nope. None of that's happening. Yeah. It was like a couple of weeks after Henry Cavill said he was coming back for Man of Steel 2. They were like, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. <laughs> Which is sad, because Henry Cavill, I think, was a completely wasted, perfect Superman. Especially since he, I mean, it seemed from the outside that he kind of bailed on future Witcher stuff to yeah, be Superman. To do this. Yeah. And he was genuinely a fan. Like, like... He's he was he got so into the role that because Clark is from Kansas, he became a Chiefs and Royals fan <laughs> and has been on the sideline of Chiefs games. And he constantly every Instagram thing I see with him, he's got a Chiefs hat on, you know, like he's from Britain. He doesn't give a shit about the Chiefs <laughs> until now. I feel badly because not only was he aesthetically the perfect Superman. Not a bad actor either, but they wasted him. They wasted him with bad movies. And most people may not know this. He landed the role in Man of Steel because he had auditioned for Brian Singer's Superman Returns. But, you know, Brandon Routh kind of looked like Christopher Reeve, so that's why he got the role. 
So instead of, they just used his old audition tape and then called him up. Hmm. So. I don't think I did. Yeah, it's, I think he's the best on-screen Superman you're ever going to get, other than Christopher Reeve. But he's gone. But on the other side of that coin, we don't have Jason Momoa anymore, which is fine. Well, it sounds like we do, just in a different role. What do you mean? I believe he's being transitioned over to be Lobo. Oh, they've been talking about that for like 10 years now. I mean, he said that, I mean, mean, he's gone online saying, hey, there's a project that I'm doing in DC now that I've been super excited and pumped for for years that isn't Aquaman. Oh, interesting. Because, well, he had originally auditioned for the role of Drax in in Guardians of the Galaxy and only lost it to Dave Bautista, which, I mean, I get why for the way that they write Drax. I think he would have been good in that role in a different context. So it is kind of funny that he's moving Momoa around. And one of the reasons that Momoa was a stupid choice for Aquaman was, A, look, he, he might be a nice guy. He might be a cool guy. I, I don't know. But he comes across as douchey, let's be honest. And Zack Snyder is a person who makes douchey movies. <laughs> and it's really annoying. And you know he cast him because he looks, quote, badass, but also because he's he's related to Pacific Islanders, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Why are you making the king of Atlantis a Pacific Islander? Well... Atlantis. <laughs> Look, I get he's the king of the seven seas. I get that. Well, A, okay? I mean, they're switching up the story. They're doing their own thing as far uh, well, as... Well, did they, though? I mean, did they? I mean, you saw those movies. There's no story to, to, well, to be what, had Well, what I'm saying is, movies. like, it doesn't have to be this blonde-haired Aryan Aquaman. Does not have to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guy. 100% agree. But defaulting to a Pacific Islander seems an odd choice. <laughs> you know, like, look, look what they did with Namor. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love that. Especially since you're going to finally give some recognition to Mesoamerica. Mm -hmm. Like, cool. Why is he a Pacific Islander, the king of Atlantis? Well, I mean, uh, I I don't personally see the problem with it. He seems like a somewhat genuine guy. He doesn't seem as douchey as I think. He does seem. No, I know. His persona seems douchey. I think he is genuinely a nice guy. Kind of like Guy Fieri. Like, apparently... He's a super nice guy, even though he comes off as the lead singer of Smash Mouth. But <laughs> I also, I mean, know. it's like they have a, a white woman comes up to Pacific Islands and meets one and has a child with. I don't, I don't know. I don't see it as being well, that. Well, they, that odd. was kind of that was kind of a retcon, but whatever. That's I mean, funny. that's the story they're telling. I, no, I, I know I that. Don't... I'm just saying, like, like on a, as a snap judgment, like just based on aesthetics, you're like, really. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of like if you're like I did a story about an African man and it was like a white South African man and you're like oh yeah I guess you're fan casting a similar storyline who or what do you cast I'm just in, intrigued by honestly yeah. I would probably and I know this sounds weird and also ironic considering Namor was was portrayed in a racist way as this early on in the comics, but I kind of, I kind of would see an Asian person. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. Like uh, that doesn't feel intuitive necessarily, but I feel like it would make more sense somewhere that's on the water. That's more like in that, that isn't a white dude. I I mean, I I don't, I mean, it's a Pacific Island. It's literally, you can't be more on the water. I I I, I get it. I, no, no, I get it. I 100% get it. But it, it just think about it on the surface, how weird that sounds, you know? I, I don't... I, the I, King I, of Atlantis is from the Pacific. Doesn't sound right. It just doesn't feel right. that story? He's... I mean, the reason that he, he doesn't fit is because he's not of Atlantis. He's of the land world. So you're going to tell the same story no matter whether he's white, black, Asian, Samoan. I, I get that. I'm just saying, don't look too hard into it. I think the joke is more shallow okay. than that. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think I'm missing it. I don't, I don't know. The Atlantic, the Pacific. 
Atlantis. Oh, okay. The Pacific. Right. How did you not pick this up? I, this is what I was well, saying. Maybe it's because we've been at this for three at, hours. And the Atlantic Ocean is named after Atlantis. He's the king of Atlantis, and he's a Pacific Islander. That was the joke I was All making. All right. Okay. Sorry. See, isn't that kind of dumb that a weird? long time ago? I it's thought a, you would have picked well, up on it. I didn't. <laughs> That's why I kept overemphasizing Atlantis. It was not connecting. Well, it, either way, that's the joke I was making. It is weird that Black Adam, who's Egyptian, <laughs> is played by a Samoa person. <laughs> there's there's a lot okay. about Black Adam that... Um, oh, we'll have to get into that sometime, because, mm, wow. If we have to. It's a, wow. it's a rough one. Was that bad? Yeah. That one was so bad. And uh, it doesn't matter anymore. They've already said they're not going forward with any of it. Oh, nope. And he's... Yeah, in fact... Said, Thanks for everything, but goodbye to the DC universe. After the, like, 15 years of, of developing that movie that The Rock specifically did, now he's like, bye, I guess. I heard he was actually in talks to do a Marvel film. Oh, man. I don't know. I, I don't see him getting the same free reign that DC gave him. So Oh, no, not at all. But I could see him making a cameo and, you know. All right, quick fan cast. The Rock as a Marvel character. Ooh. Instinctually, I want to see Drax, but that doesn't work. Yeah, you can't, he can't, you can't do, do that. Drax. No. Let's see. Tombstone. Hmm. Do you probably do you not. paint him white? <laughs> do you put the rock in white face? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's just the first thing that popped in my mind. I'm, I don't really necessarily think that, uh, that it just popped in there. Let me think. Does he have to be bald? Cause... No, you could do hair. Okay. Namor, the sub. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I mean I don't have one off the top of my head. I'm I'm straining myself. You know what? I actually, who's the dude from the Wrecking Crew with the Wrecking Ball? Oh, I believe is that Wrecker. Is that right? Is that right? Because that's uh, it. Kind of screams that to me. <laughs> Huh. Like, he's not absorbing, man, but he might be that guy. <laughs> huh. Like, that makes sense Except to like, me. like, he doesn't have any character. I mean, The Rock is That's way true. too big of a personality and a charismatic guy to be that guy in the Wrecking Crew. <laughs> well, maybe Rhino, then, or, you know. Hmm. It's probably that Scorpion, but maybe Rhino. Hmm. <laughs> he also is the kind of guy that I would figure would play Eddie Brock. Yeah, I could have seen that. I like Tom Hardy as an actor. Those movies suck. I don't care what anybody says. Those movies are terrible. He also doesn't scream Eddie Brock to me. Well, I mean, they again, they did their own version of Eddie, which I'm fine with. You know, it's not, it's, well, it's I don't better care. Than, it's better than in Spider-Man 3. Even though I totally understand that approach, too. You did the evil Peter Parker. That's fine. That's totally fine. But it still sucked real bad. You know, if you're going to go, uh, like, comics accurate, the only person who could ever play Eddie Brock would have to be Brian Bosworth. But <laughs> but we're not doing that, so. Could someone teleport the Boz from 1990? <laughs> the Boz. It's the haircut. It's just straight up the blonde uh, crew cut that he's got. It's In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they modeled that look after Brian Bosworth. No. Beefy, meathead, asshole blonde crew cut the sort of howie long look you know howie howie long did some movies maybe he could play eddie brock he was in broken arrow uh, he was in a firestorm which my father was watching yesterday oh he was the protagonist yeah, in that one yeah he plays a firefighter yeah, yeah it's a it's 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 a vehicle just for him yeah built on the back of backdraft yeah 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 it's the the draft of backdraft yeah it's the backdraft of backdraft Man, I'm having trouble coming up with a, an ideal person for him to play. R- roll for yeah. the rock. Yeah, I don't know. What about? I have to think um, on this. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, actually, which is weird because he's got the archetypal superhero form. Yeah, and yet it doesn't seem to fit any of them. Maybe Ares, the god of war. Well, I guess, but also not really much of a character. No, but I mean, you I could know. maybe do something with that. Maybe. I mean, maybe he could have played. He'd have more charisma than Black Adam did. Well, that's for sure. Or maybe like, well, no, he wouldn't even make a good Hercules, even though he's played Hercules. 
<laughs> oh, I got it. Strong guy. With the weird spit curl? No. He's no. not tall no, enough. Like, give, him, give him little matrix glasses and just have him be a... He's not tall enough. You can digitally do that. What's his real name? It's like Guido... Yeah, Guido... Uh, something. Uh, I think it's, they just call him Guido. Guido Strong yeah, Guy. So good. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, Strong Guy, okay, all right. I'll, I, I mean, I don't want to see that, but at least it would give him... No, like, I don't either. ...time to talk and show his muscles and... Well, it's better than him playing Warpath or something, but... Yeah, I mean, Warpath's a cooler character. Oh, 100%. Warhack, Warpath and Thunderhawk both. Not Thunderhawk. Yeah. Yeah? No, Thunderhawk is from Street Fighter. But also from Marvel? <laughs> Isn't that his uh, name? Thunderhawk? Isn't his name Thunderhawk? T-Hawk? Yeah. He's called T-Hawk in Street Fighter. Thunderhawk. Marvel. Isn't that his name? Because Warpath does have a brother. He was part of the branch off X-Men crew that saved the original from Krakoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't Warpath, because Thunderbird Warpath was from... Thunderbird. Thunderbird! There you go! Thunderbird! And then there's yeah. Thunder Chicken, oh. and Thunder Vulture, mm-hmm. Thunder Rooster. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man villain, Thunder Vulture. Thundercock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thundercock, yeah, which was my nickname in college. There's Thunder Chick. Actually, that's <laughs> you know that's a, an actual thing, Thunder Chick. Oh my god, damn it. God damn it. Thunderhawk is the father of Thunder Chick? Oh my god. In Earth 9602? You mean Thunderbird? No, Thunderhawk is the father of Thunder Chick. Okay. Either way, both Warpath and Thunderbird should have been played by Billy from Predator. I think we can all agree on that. Of course. Yeah, I mean, there's no other... Of course. Obviously. (laughs) Yep, there he is. (laughs) Man, that is such a tough casting. You could do Luke Cage... What, The Rock is Luke Cage? A black man? I don't... What? (laughs) I don't don't like what you're doing with this at all. The the Rock identifies as as black as well. No, he doesn't. He's Samwa. He identifies as Samwa. They talk about it in several movies that he's in. He's a Pacific Islander. You jumped the grunt conversation for all. Glad I came across this, and I'll give you some context and truth. I identify exactly what I am. Both. Equally proud, black, Samoan. I've never heard him claim that he's black. I believe you. I'm just saying that is the first I've heard of it. They talked a lot more about it when he was a professional wrestler. He was booked, like, as a black wrestler. (laughs) Okay. I'm just telling you, I mean, there's a whole lot of... Racism in the WWE, but... uh No shit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I believe his father... His father was black, I believe. Yeah. He identifies as black. What, what movie was that in that he went back to the island and then they, like... Uh, that was Hobbs and Shaw? Hobbs and Shaw, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, See, uh... that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I... I yeah. I, I mean, I know, think... Like, associate with The Rock. I, I think there's also a lot more room for him to express a lesser seen part of his culture. Sure. Which, I mean, I mean, whatever I, and, he's comfortable yeah, with. Yeah. And I, I think, I think he maybe, I, I don't, I don't, maybe it's like picking his favorite child. I, I don't, I don't really know. It's not for me to say, but I think he does yeah, express that's... more Samoan culture than black culture, but Hey, I, I don't yeah. know. This, this, <laughs> this is probably a conversation we are not equipped to, no, we do not have the tools or resources to be able to have this conversation. No. <laughs> we are not, we are not, yes, no. And so anyway, that's much like James Gunn. So James Gunn <laughs> took over DC Studios, which I think is a great thing, comparatively. I just think it's a good thing now. And this is a, this was an interesting quote, because the former co-CEO of DC was former favorite writer turned complete asshole Jeff Johns. Johns said that that okay, that's from a fan talking. This is about Jeff Johns. This, I think this is let me make sure I credit the right person. Okay, so James Gunn responded to a fan who talked about Warner Brothers studio I- interference with DC at that point EU, which you know was hundred percent a thing. And this was the response. 
quote, as long as the studio doesn't override you and your directors at every turn, I, for one, have confidence that you'll actually be making decisions for the DCU that I can get on board with. In my opinion, worth exactly nothing. True. It was studio interference that derailed the previous attempt at a DCU, and it wouldn't surprise me to learn that Jeff Johns was quite frustrated. True, but I think Jeff Johns also is terrible at movies, because most of his comics are good to a certain point, like very good. But then he co-wrote Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. 1985. Uh, yeah, it's like so. Oh, yeah, waiting for that that's the bomb drop. that drops. You're like, oh, I don't know what the difference between writing a movie script and a comic script are that makes him so terrible at it, but there it is. I'm reading from thedirect.com. James Gunn made it clear that his position is different from Jeff Johns and Zack Snyder, that Gunn is the top of the food chain for DC Studios, which... Snyder never was, Johns never was. Remember, they had, like, five different CEOs take over during that 10-year period? Mm-hmm. I remember at one point they had recruited the guy who spearheaded the X-Men franchise over at Fox. He didn't last all that long. There was a woman involved at some point, which it shouldn't be something that we have to note that that's the way that works, apparently. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had so many reshufflings and so many bosses that finally James Gunn and Peter Safran are going to have final say. They're going to be the Kevin Feige of the DC Universe, which I think is good. I think it's a little late for DC. They've already put out 10 years worth of continuity that's garbage, and they've fucked themselves yet again by making a Batman movie that's good. Yeah. Just like they did with the, with the the, nolan? the batman begins yeah with nolan because nolan's batman movies being good and them making those movies are the reason that marvel jumped out ahead and they had to go play catch up instead of like building a universe like you're supposed to they were like we'll just do the opposite of marvel what is that who cares we're just doing the opposite good or not instead of building characters and then putting them together as a team introduce a bunch of characters kind of as a team and then make a team movie yeah, and have your quote-unquote quality projects just be one-offs that aren't connected at all. The Batman, whether you like but, it or that not, was, Joker. But that was later. That was after their attempt to create oh, yeah. a unified universe failed yes. because Snyder was in charge of the vision. So they make the same fucking mistake that DC Comics made in up until 1985 when they had to do a Crisis on Infinite Earths to fix it. You had too many one-offs that contradict each other with all these writers, all, too many cooks in the fucking kitchen, and then you have to go and fix it with this the huge continuity-shaping crossover. Did they not learn anything from anything they've done before? Although, let's look at it this way. Has anybody ever done what Marvel's done over these past 20 years? No, it's a DC thing to do. Well, I know, that but I'm just right saying there like is may- a DC thing to maybe do. Maybe like maybe we just think like, oh, if they had made Batman and an Aquaman and a Superman and a One Woman like all tied them together the way that Marvel did, that it would work and m- maybe that was a one in a million thing that it all lined up that way built to something built to, you know, another something and just has become this juggernaut. Maybe that's something that just was never actually ever going to happen. I remember reading an interview with Feige when they were like, oh, are you going to eventually do an Avengers movie? And he was like, no, not anytime soon, because obviously you had to have a budget of $700 million. So no. And then but like two years after that, they were like, oh, I guess we can do Avengers now. (laughs) You know? And also, it was kind of a miracle that those worked because a lot of them were bad. Iron Man 2 off the bat was bad. Thor was not good, and they couldn't do a Hulk movie. So, really, it was because Iron Man was good and Captain America was decent is the only reason. Because Incredible Hulk, though part of the DCU, or the MCU, they can't replicate because of that weird contract they had with Ed Norton and Universal. So 
only by accident were they able to create enough fanfare to make Avengers. Really? So, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it is rare, but, you know, it's still the best way to do that. It is the most logical way to create a cinematic universe. Introduce these characters and then wow everybody by putting them all on the screen at the same time. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't disagree. And they did it wrong. It's something that is never poked at. The idea that maybe that was just magic that can't be replicated. Maybe. I mean, even though it's just obvious, it's just an obvious way to do it. But yeah, it did require a lot of luck. And to quote James Gunn, this is what James Gunn responded to that fan on Mastodon, because fuck Twitter now, apparently. Quote, the position is different than it was with Zack, as in Zack Snyder, etc. Peter and I are the heads of DC Studios. The only studio interference would be from us. So he has the end-all be-all say, which is something they needed to have the entire fucking time. Yeah. And I wish they had. Well, I mean, they're also, again, this is what they say at the beginning, but the turmoil at Warner Brothers right now, I don't know if you can guarantee you're going to have that. I, I mean, they may go through another, you know, redesign, overhaul, you know, execs might come and go. A lot of things can change as they have oh so recently. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I've said before, I think the superhero movie glut is a bubble waiting to burst. And of course, everybody's been saying that for the last 20 years now. So I, you know, just like they did with zombie movies, everybody's like, oh, they'll stop making those. And then 20 years later, it's still every other movie is a zombie movie on Netflix, Hulu and Tubi or whatever. But so I think it's a little late for them to do this, but it is also the most positive thing they could have done. And I think it's a smart move. It's a great thing to finally purge them of the Snyder musk. <laughs> and and I'm glad that they, they, they finally have gotten something of a cohesive vision. I don't know if that's good, but considering Peacemaker, which is totally underrated show, mm -hmm. actually a pretty good show. Yeah. The, the Suicide Squad, which, while being long and kind of masturbatory, one of the better DCEU films by far, I think you could be in worse hands. So mm -hmm. There's hope for the future. There is hope. Like Superman, there is hope. Yeah. And they're apparently going to reveal their slate of films soon. Uh, in 2023, uh, which is now. <laughs> but, so uh, some of the people, sadly, that we lost this last year were some of the giants in uh, silver and modern age comics, both in mainstream and indie, you know, circles, including Aileen Kaminsky Crum, who died in November at 74. Mm. She was famously a a comic book artist, uh, which is amazing for, uh, you know, because there weren't a lot of women comic book creators in her era. And she should be heralded as one of the pioneers. She was married to R. Crumb, or Robert Crumb, who is one of the premier indie artists, the uh, comic book artists of the 20th century. We lost her, unfortunately. We did lose one of the Power Rangers, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I were too old for that, but still. Yeah, we did lose Jason David Frank, who killed himself, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, too bad. It's really sad. And one of the pillars, one of the seminal, foundational voices of not only our childhood, but I think of generations of people who defined the character for... Millions. Kevin Conroy, who played Batman in Batman the Animated Series and many other things. The guy, the voice of Batman, the unquestionable, undisputed voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy. He died of intestinal cancer in November at 66. 
he even got to play Bruce Wayne in live action one time. So in was it Titans? Then we also lost, unfortunately, Kevin O'Neill. Yeah. Also in November at 69 of Cancer, once again. He was, of course, the illustrator for The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, written by Alan Moore. A unique artist with a very specific style. And uh, I think that is a sad loss for everybody. One of a kind. Yeah, he definitely one of a kind, and uh, that is that is sad. We lost a lot of Spanish artists, which is weird. Creators, at least. And French, too. It's really kind of odd. Tom Palmer, who worked on The Avengers, he was 81. Uh, he he was one of those guys that never got a lot of fanfare, but was a, was a, a renowned artist and loved in the uh, community. And this isn't comic-related, but we did, unfortunately, lose Nichelle Nichols from Star Trek this year yeah. at 89 from heart failure. That one was sad. You and I have the privilege to have met <laughs> Nichelle Nichols at the James Kirk days <laughs> in uh, Riverside, Iowa, where she was one of the judges for the costume contest, which is really a great story because we were there and the judges were Walter Canning who played Chekhov, George Takei, obviously who plays Sulu and Michelle Nichols who played Uhura. And somebody came up on stage for the Star Trek costume contest as a stormtrooper. And the entire crowd booed <laughs> and jeered at the guy. And then and in, in one of the greatest moments of any like, you know, like meeting a Star Trek uh, actor ever, during the booze, George Takei gets up and and hushes the crowd and says, "There's room in the universe for all of us." And then everybody in the crowd's like, "God damn it, you're right. <laughs> God damn it." How can you argue with George Takei talking about about equality? God damn it! I wanted to hate on the Star Trek. Fine, fan, damn Star my fans. tribalism. <laughs> you know, but it was it was an amazing moment, and uh, Nichelle was uh, was definitely part of that. Uh, I had met, I actually physically met Michelle Nichelle a couple of times at cons when I was a kid. Uh, wonderful person, good singer, underrated singer. She is the one that sang the lyrics to the Star Trek theme song. But most people don't know about. Also famously had an affair with Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. That was a thing. Probably not a highlight, but uh, <laughs> but I think her best uh, contribution and most interesting story from the Star Trek era was that because her character was treated as essentially a glorified secretary or a receptionist, she wanted to leave the show. But Martin Luther King Jr. himself called her and said that his children and his his entire family loved Star Trek, watched Star Trek actively, and was proud of her for representing, you know, African-American people on screen without stereotype or, or you know, you know, racial issue. And that leaving the show <coughs> would, I think, damage the image of, you know, black uh, Americans in living rooms every day so she stayed because you know he he asked her to which is incredible that i think changed a lot yeah, that's an amazing story um, it is it's it's fantastic uh, good good that's amazing so we also lost alan grant a scottish writer who wrote uh, i think didn't he he wrote a bunch of batman with norman brayfogle if i remember right yes i believe so yeah and then he definitely wrote judge dread that's that's definitely a thing, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure he wrote with Alan Brayfogle during the like Shadow of the Bat days and all that. Uh, if, yeah, that's off the dome. I don't. I didn't yes. look it up. That I is factually it's... accurate. Woohoo! <laughs> and then one of the uh, I think one of the biggest losses uh, in the comic book world was the passing of Tim Sale. Yeah, who worked almost exclusively with Jeff Loeb. Uh, poor guy, and uh, he was an Eisner Award-winning uh, artist. He he. Well, that is true. You're right. Uh, Jeff Loeb's best stuff came with Tim Sale, 100. He, he was so involved with Jeff Loeb that 
he his artwork was even included in the TV show Heroes, which Jeff Loeb was an executive producer on. But he did uh, Batman: The Long Halloween, Spider-Man Blue, the, Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man, Hulk Gray, Captain America White, Superman for All Seasons, Challenges of the Unknown. What's the Catwoman one he did? Uh, the one where we find out that uh, Carmine Falcone is her dad. That's that that when in Rome comes from that when in yeah. Rome. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, a fantastic Batman book. Elegy. And his artwork is also Ego. singular. No, Elegy, yeah. It's very unique, and uh, we're, we're really going to miss him. That's uh, that's a really sad one. And then uh, the, the two that really hit me hard that – well, okay, before I say that, I'd also like to say Tom Veach. We lost Tom Veach. He died of COVID. Great. He was the brother of Rick Veach who was a famous writer who took over for Alan Moore on Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And Tom Veach took over for Grant Morrison on Animal Man, which are great books back in the day. Some of the best DCs ever put out. Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run may be the greatest superhero run by an, a, a writer ever. It's up there. And and – you know, like the Veach brothers both took over very competently. I think uh, Rick Veach's Swamp Thing was great, and Tom Veach's Animal Man didn't drop off much from Grant Morrison. I thought they were both very, very talented. Then we lost Brian Augustin, who uh, he, a lot of his work was in editing. He was 67 years old. He died in February. He died of a stroke. He was a longtime bestie of writer Mark Wade, and he did a lot of Wade's work, kind of like Loeb and, and Tim Sale. The one thing that people would probably remember Augustine for was Gotham by Gaslight, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic book and has it, it almost had a video game. There was a canceled Gotham by Gaslight video game for the Xbox really? that you can see. Yeah, I've actually seen play for it, like an actual um, video of the play, and it looks awesome. I don't know why they didn't do it. It looks really cool. But yeah, it may be the most, well, other than Red Sun, the most famous Elseworld story, probably. I would say. Yeah. I would say. I mean, I don't know if you. Yeah, I would think so. Because like, what else? What else do you have? I mean, you have a lot of other good ones, but not that. Not, not that people readily recognize. You know, I would think. And then, of course, the I think the last two that I'll mention are the ones that hit Jake and I hard for the era in which we grew up reading comics. First of all, Neil Adams, the, yeah. the great, great Neil Adams, one of the greatest artists, the guy that defined what DC characters looked like for generations. He was the guy like he like all of those like promotional DC things and all the like stuff, you know, anytime you'd see a, a Batman or a Superman or a Wonder Woman like somewhere outside of the comic book world, like on a poster or on a billboard or a cardboard cutout or whatever, it was usually Neil Adams. And his work was it was grounded. It wasn't all that stylized, but it was very like precise and lifelike. He died at 80 of sepsis, which is terrible. He was a big fan of creator's rights, you know, the whole image comics issue mm-hmm. where he he believed that if you created a character as an artist, you should probably get at least a little taste of that cheddar cheese, <laughs> you know, from coming from that. But uh, one of the greats, uh, one of the greats. And uh, I remember the documentary I was in, they interview Joss Whedon, but his favorite moment ever at Comic-Con was running into Neil Adams in an elevator. Uh, And that's saying a lot (laughs) because, you know, he's just, for the 70s and 80s, he defined the look and feel of DC Comics. The only other person that you could possibly say rivaled that we also lost this year of pancreatic cancer at the age of 67 we lost george perez yeah which that one's hard george perez is one of the most sort of underrated but also highly praised comic book artists of all time he was the one guy that they tapped they trusted to do crisis on infinite earths 
for his attention to detail and his precision. He also was, uh, even after he was sort of like in the regular rotation of comic book artists, they tapped him to finish the Justice League Avengers crossover that took 20 years to make with Kurt Busiek. If you ever get a chance to really look at George Perez's work, go back and look at some of the issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths. The detail that he puts in every panel is mind-blowing. It's crazy how much stuff he puts in to a microscopic scale. He, he was one of the most prolific and detail-oriented artists, I think, in the entirety of comics. He may be the most detail-oriented artist in the history of comics. And great stuff. Yeah, very um, emotive artwork. Mm-hmm, it's true. But also kind of like grounded and realistic. It wasn't like, you know, McFarlane-type stylization. You could tell he came out of the school of Kurt Swan and Ditko and, and artists like that from the from the forties, fifties, and sixties. He definitely had that kind of feel to it. But he was so go back and read some of his Wonder Woman stuff from Post Crisis. Mm-hmm. He, wow, it's so good. It's his 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 artwork is just impeccable. And that was a sad one. He yeah, we lost him this year too. And I actually met George Perez one time. I feel really stupid about it. I was a little kid. I was at a con in Kansas City, and he was one of the featured guests. And I went to a panel hosted by George Perez. And somebody was talking about his underrated book, Saxon Violence, mm-hmm. uh, which was a completely underrated book, kind of an adult book, not quite like some of the other stuff he did for DC. And he was talking about it, and he was answering questions about, like, you know, you know, what are the perils of doing an adult comic book when you're, you know, a mainstream comic book artist and all that. And then I raised my hand and he called on me and I said, could you draw Batman? And I I think I lost the plot a little bit in there. Because <laughs> uh, he goes, oh, okay. And then draws Batman. <laughs> <laughs> on this like on this big like uh you know win loser draw type you know p- <laughs> paper pad or whatever and i was like uh, i probably could have asked better questions but <laughs> yeah, good dude kid. nice guy i in fact have a copy of crisis on infinite earth number seven with the flash dies autographed by george perez and oh i forgot about this story so it's short but i at the same con he was doing uh, signings and I brought my personal copy of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth number seven, which is the only book I had him sign. And I handed it to him, and it is a beat-up garbage copy. I mean, I got it new, but it had been, like, you know, under my bed at <laughs> one point, in my backpack, you know, like, just complete beat the shit. And... He looked at it, and he – I'm not making this up. He he turned to the rest of the people in line and goes, see, this is a kid who reads comics. <laughs> and all those, like, middle-aged men who had these hermetically sealed copies of comics that they've never opened to have him sign for the, you know, the rarity and the value of it uh, all just kind of, like, shamefully looked at their shoes <laughs> You know, and it was, I will never forget that. It was great. Yeah, he was a, he was an amazing guy and an amazing artist. So we lost a lot of others, but those are the, I think the big names that we lost this year. So now we don't have to end on a sad note. We can now, I mean, that is sad, but we should celebrate their work and we should uh, never forget the contributions that those individuals made to the comic book genre. Or sci-fi, in the case of Michelle Nichols. Yeah, so. all the more reason to, to search out their work and absolutely you know, re-experience it or experience it for the first time. Especially Neil Adams and uh, and George Perez, they made such great work. Do yourself a favor; people don't put that much effort into the art that they did. Like nobody does anymore, and. And not because I'm like, oh, the next generation, they don't know what, the, you know, like like every old person says. Um, they just legitimately were head and shoulders above everybody else for any generation. So they're, they're good stuff. Go ahead and check those out. Do it. 
So, I mean, geek culture is still roaring. The engines are revving. It's probably, honestly, we don't realize it because we're in it, but it's probably bigger and badder than it ever has been. And I remember you and I talked about after Spider-Man 2 came out, we are like, well, that's it. It's over. Geek culture has peaked. Little did <laughs> we know. End. Little That was 2002. <laughs> yeah, little did we know. It's like when they closed down the uh, patent office because they were like, well, everything's been invented. It's been invented. <laughs> so, yeah, the 2023 has uh, the possibility of having some good stuff in it. And hopefully the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. So the thing that really matters. Well, the Royals are going to suck, but, you know, the, the Chiefs might be good. <laughs> so, so there's something. There is something. And hopefully something. this is something good for all of you. There it was, the year that was. And this podcast. So, well, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, to support your local comic shops and retailers. And from Dispatch Ajax, we would like to say, Godspeed, fair wizards. Please, go away. Go away.